This podcast is proudly sponsored by O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves you back. Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Brian Lara, a former professional cricketer playing 131 test matches for the West Indies, scoring almost 12,000 runs at 52.88, with a highest score in test cricket of 400 not out, and a highest score in first-class cricket of 501 not out. He was inducted into the ICC Hall of Fame in 2003, post-career as a commentator and a keen golfer. And Brett Lee, a former Australian fast bowler and cricketer, playing 76 tests for Australia, taking 310 test wickets and 381 day wickets. Post-career, he's a commentator, a mad fisherman and a great brother. Oh, welcome to Lunch with Lee. Let's get started. We'll get started on the show today. Brian Lara, a former professional cricketer, playing 131 test matches for the West Indies and post-career as a commentator and a keen golfer. Welcome, Brian. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, mate, thanks for coming on the show. And my other guest, Brett Lee, a former Australian fast bowler and cricketer, post-career as a commentator, a mad fisherman and a great brother. Oh, <laughs> Welcome, Brett. Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> the first thing I want to ask you both, because... You, you're in the middle of IPL commentary over there, but you've had a tough time with Dean Jones. Are you both going okay, Brett? Yeah, look, I'm going going good now, mate. It's been obviously a you know a real tough couple of weeks. It doesn't sure. really go away, doesn't change things. But uh, you know, I think with some really wonderful company over here and some close people, and you know, been in contact with the family and stuff. You know, we miss him every day because he he was such a larger sure. than life character, um, a wonderful friend. You know, the sort of the guy that was always joking around and. You know, when Dino walked into a room, he was just so, so much, so much fun to be with. So yeah, you know, obviously we're missing him, and um, it's such a shame what happened. And how are you going, Brian? Yeah, it's been difficult, and I was actually in quarantine and not allowed out of my room. So for the first eight, nine days that I was there, I spent it in my room as myself, self-contained. You know, I didn't get enough time to spend with Dino. I didn't see him at all because of that. So that was very sad for me. But also, he's been such a mentor for me on on this circuit in terms of the media and commentary. I played against him a few times and um, even actually ran my event in Melbourne back in November, December last year. So I've had a really close relationship with him and um, yeah, it's really sad that you know, we all lost a, a great person. Look, it, it's really sad. Look, I hope you're both okay because you're both away from your family and tough times, but we, 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 won't, we won't dwell on that. But Brian, I want to ask you, you're someone who loved batting. You've always said you enjoyed more time at the crease than actually watching someone else bat. How, how do you find commentary now? <laughs> when you're talking about batting, you have to be very clear if you're asking me a question or Brett, because I know he loved batting as well. Rubbish. <laughs> I'm definitely asking you, Brian. <laughs> it's, a, it's a situation where, you know, I actually heard Phil Richards talking about it once where he hated sitting down waiting to bat. Not that he wanted Gordon Greenwich or Desmond Haynes to get out. It's just that, you know, that anticipation and that build-up that you have, batting at number three or number four, is so great. And, um, yeah, I mean, I started playing cricket from a very young age, and uh, batting in the streets was, was, you know, so, so sweet because sometimes you'll get to bat, like, four evenings. You know, they have to get you out. <laughs> or you have yeah. to wait four evenings for a knock. So, 
But I think it was something that I really love. And you're very good at it, mate. So, Brett, I want to ask you, Brett, I want to go through a scenario, Brett. So, in your head now, what do you think about this? You're playing a test match against the West Indies back in the day, and you've just bowled, you've got an opening batsman out from the West Indies, and out walks Brian Charles Lara. What's your plan to him? You're at the top of your mark. Well, plan to him is the first you watch the swagger when he walks out. <laughs> He's got the real good swagger, moving the hips. He's just so cool. Nah, but like, it's. I think when you play test cricket, and I was very fortunate to play against the two best batsmen in my lifetime, and I think that's ever played the game, Brian Charles Lara and obviously Sachin Tendulkar. So to have sure. the chance to bowl against those two guys was phenomenal. And just, it's it's different. They're different styles of players. So when Brian walked out, I could bowl six balls in the exact same spot. Let's call it that fourth stump line just outside of stump, where it's going to go yep. to hopefully get the nick towards keeper. He could pump the first one down the ground on the up for four. He could hit me through backward point and he could slice me down a third man or hit me behind square, you know, off the same ball. And and that's such a hard batsman to bowl to when the thing with Sachin is that I found that if I bowled straight, he'd hit me straight. If I bowled square, he'd hit me square out to the, you know, the sort of deep uh, point region. Whereas Lara, he, he was this type of guy that would just walk across and just take the piss out of me, really. And and Brian, what are you thinking? So you've just walked out. Brett's got, got a head of steam up. He's been watching your swagger. Um, what, 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 are you, what, what are you thinking? Well, hopefully he's not in his first over because I always thought that, you know, if I can get in there after about four overs, if Chris Gale or um, whoever else is opening the batting could just take the shine off the new ball, it would be perfect. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but really and truly, when I, when I got out into the middle, um, you know, I, I learned this from Desmond Hayes as well. And, you know, don't think it's, it's funny, but... Batting from the non-striker's end was always the best place to bat for the first half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I always tried to pick up a single and, and watch what's going on. I remember Desmond Haynes telling me that we opened in the World mm. Cup 1992 and I asked him, you know, give me some advice. I've never opened a batting before. He said, well, the best advice I can give you is to try to get to the non-striker's end as much as possible. So for okay. me, with Brett, with his pace and, and um, everything else, I felt that, you know, I had to try to line him up early, try to see if I can get my eyes in. Um, gotcha. I know he's going to attack me. I know he's going to bowl short. He's going to try to get the Yorker in or get the ball full. Um, when he did that, I tried to score off of him because I know the sort of the sort of ball away he is. You know, he's going as he say, as he says regularly in the um, in the commentary room. He's either toes or nose. <laughs> so <laughs> so for me, yeah. so I, I knew what to expect most of the times. So Brett. If Brian gets away, let's say he's he's on you know, forty two, not out leading up to lunch, then after after lunch he sort of he kicks on to eighty. What are you now thinking as a bowler? Well, there's there's batsmen where you feel like you can get him out every single ball, and there are batsmen that like to go and bat deep. And what I mean by bat deep is that they like to score runs, so they they've got that mental strength to bat right through an innings. And obviously, with him holding the the current world record at four hundred in a Test match, which is Astronomical, unbelievable. Some teams only score three, three, seven, five collectively, and he yeah. scored four hundred by himself. <laughs> so, I know he's a type of guy that's going to bat deep and put a real heavy price tag on his wicket. So, just to try to really, really be smart and just dot him up, and hopefully he makes a mistake. But often, most times, you know, it's sort of just see off the good bowlers, make sure the attack bowlers where he felt comfortable to attack, but also too that if I and there has been occasions. I mean, I, I think about probably the best spell that I ever bowled 
uh, was in Trinidad, which is his hometown. Yeah. He's the he's the prince of uh, Trini. Sure is. He, he had never scored a hundred. Is that right, Brian? Ne- uh, never yeah. scored a hundred in Trinidad. So we came out. I think it was after lunch. It was a really hot day. People everywhere. Big big crowd is in the early nineties, and I bowled for two hours straight. And he got from ninety two, I think, to about ninety seven in that two hours. Mm. And I I tried everything. I bounced him. I I dropped him when he was on about fourteen, I think. And he just laughed at me and said, "I'm, you know, I'll I'll pay for that." And of course, the story goes, he went on to make his hundred, his first hundred in his hometown. So there are guys that make you pay. There are guys that you know can actually. It's like cat and mouse. You know, he was he was toying with a lot of the bowlers sometimes, but just just fun. And then off off the field, as you as you can appreciate now, and all the listeners out there, like he's you know just a very very normal down to earth guy. And that's that's exactly what sports should be about. You have your have your battles on the field and off the field. Have a beer and enjoy yourself. It's, it's so true, but Brian, Brian, you had a real unique ability, mate. To you know, when when you first took the world record, when you scored three sixty five, and then Matthew Hayden got three hundred and eighty, and you went, "Bugger you, Matthew Hayden! I'll, I'll score four hundred now." Because I remember in nineteen eighty six, the current world record in the backyard was four hundred and ten that I got against Brett. And um, I was a world record holder there, but then you went to a whole another level playing county cricket, scoring 500. Mate, most guys can't score 100 in the backyard against their four-year-old son. How do you bat for so long and keep your focus? I think it started in, um, actually in Sydney, 1993, beginning of 93, where um, I got my first Test 100 against... Uh, and my first Test 100 wasn't just against Australia. And... Um, I remember coming off the field, I had about 120, rain came down and I went into the dressing room and all my players, fellow players were congratulating me and uh, the coach at the time was Rohan Kanai and he came across and he said, you know, well done, but set your stalls out. And I said to him, you know, what do you mean? He said, well, your next inning starts at zero. And from that day onwards, I understood Uh what he said and I went back out and, you know, also, what was very helpful was on the screen at the Sydney Cricket Ground was all, um, the electronic screen. All these scores that were coming down, every time I hit a boundary or 10 runs or whatever the case may be, some other name was coming down and mine was going up. So that I had this love affair with that particular innings and getting to 277, I can tell you exactly how upset I was and why I was upset. I wanted to go what? past Viv Richards' score of 291, which uh-huh. was his highest score. Can you imagine doing that in my fifth test yeah. match, my first test sentence? So I was upset. I wasn't upset about a triple hundred or when I came off the field, Sagari Sobers came to the dressing room and said, young man, what are you doing? What, what happened? I said, what, what? He said, 365 was just there. And I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about Sir Vivian Richards' um, 291. And from there on, I just had this love affair. So you asked the question, Brad, when I got to 40 or 80, I never actually talk, thought about half centuries or centuries. I know most of the times you bat for five sessions as a test team. I wanted to bat all five sessions if I could. I never felt comfortable or I never felt satisfied with getting to any sort of landmark like a hundred or a double. I just felt that when Rich Richardson or Courtney Walsh, the captains that I had at the time, wanted to declare, I wanted to be out in the middle. That was the, the game you named your daughter. Sydney was born, wasn't she? You named after that test match. Yeah, no, she was born in 96, but I remember asking okay. my um, girlfriend at the time if it was possible, and she, yeah, she allowed me to. I had a second daughter, and I said, well, I need her to be called Adelaide, but I wasn't given that privilege. <laughs> <laughs> Adelaide is where I scored my last double against Australia and went past Island Border. So, um, yeah, her name is Tyler, but 
Sydney, I was fortunate to at least have that to remember. It's, it's funny, you mentioned Alan Border. If you look back at Alan Border's career, and, and you, you passed him as a, the highest test run scorer back in the day, but Alan Border played for a lot of his career in a team that was not winning, and, and you had the same sort of fate, both captaining and not captaining the team. Was it tough playing in a team where, as a batsman, you were so dominant, but as a player and a contributor... Was that frustrating for you or was that a driver? It was very frustrating. And I have uh, you know, this uh, great respect for Alan Border because I remember as a young man, teenager, going to the Queen's Park Oval in Trinidad. And yes, I, I loved the West Indies and I always wanted them to win. But getting into my teenage years, I was looking to see how I can improve my game. And I remember sitting uh, in the stands in Trinidad and Tobago and watching Alan Border score, I think, 96 where everyone yep. was feeling around him. So eventually, yes, I liked the Roy Fedricks and Greenwich and Viv Richards, but I ended up liking Alan Border, David Gower, and all these guys who came out, Mahinda Amanat from India, came out to the West Indies, and we had a four-pronged pace attack. No one survived. But these guys were really, really good at it, and they starved our bowlers. And um, that's my sort of love affair with Alan Border. And I eventually ended up in the same place. I felt that, Yes, we had a, the best team in the world, but on de- yeah. in, in decline. And then eventually That's I ended up with a team where it was tough for us to win and get partnerships. And I found myself on many occasions, not on all occasions, right. because I did play with Carl Hooper, who was an outstanding player, Shivnarine Chandrapal, mm. Jimmy Adams, all made contributions. But yes, a mm. part of my career where the West Indies team was spiraling downwards and the dependency became far greater on myself than, say, the players of you know the decade before or or any anyone else yeah tough man we're gonna take a break now now dan because brett and brian are both over in india at the moment i'm cooking again for us dinner for two mate and i'm gonna do like a little um maybe just some chicken schnitzels on a bed of leek and pea puree with some fresh lemon over the top that's a bowl of red to wash it down let's get started It's no secret, I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin, delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful gin journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com and just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. 
In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Hey Brett, do you have a moment that stands out for you, a moment you're most proud of in your illustrious career, both in Test and One Day Cricket? Oh, look, I think in, I think in Test Cricket, firstly, was to get my baggy green cap yep. and, you know, to to think about all the, the pain and, and sort of operations I've gone through to, you know, in order to actually get that cap. That it, It's just a piece of felt, but it, it's it's what it stands for and what it signifies. And and for me personally, it was to, to, to wear that baggy green cap for the first time was, the, you know, the biggest honour. But also too, and um, for the listeners out there, my, my proudest moment certainly in in cricket in general, but also in one day cricket, was walking out, seeing your name on the back. So, S. Lee, number 20, and thinking that we'd spoken about this in the backyard with our younger brother, Grant, and to walk out seeing Shane Lee, number 20, and I'm behind you walking out. You know, we're playing our first one-day match together. I thought, this is pretty cool, you know, because we'd dreamt about that, and, you know, here we are with the two war boys. So, four out of the 11 players are, are from the one, or some, from two families, essentially, and, you know, we're playing a big game of uh, backyard cricket with our pyjamas on. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, mate. I mean, but Brian, f- for me, one of my favourite tours of all time when I was part of the one-day set-up for Australia was the, the 99 tour to the West Indies. And I think you and I, we, we, we spent quite a few nights together having a few beers, and I think, luckily, I got you out one game. The thing I'm most surprised about is that you hit the ball in the air, and the second thing is Michael Bevan actually caught it, because <laughs> he had hands like Edward Scissorhands, but, but that's another story. But um, I, th- I think one, one, of the, one of the moments over there, mate, I think that was just after you scored your 400 in Trinidad. And did the government give you the plot of land that you now live still live on as a gift? Yeah, that was the 375. 375, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was back in 94. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a, a, a lucky me where they gave me actually a list of, ho- of houses that they owned, the government that belonged to them. <laughs> And I went looking around as a 24-year-old to these uh, amazing-looking houses. And then one of my friend's dad um, came to me and asked me, you know, what did they offer me? So I said, well, look, here's a list of houses they offer me. And uh, he said, no, 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 come, have a look at this. And he yep. took me up on this hill and this a lot of bush and, you know, and I got to the top and eventually saw Port of Spain. And he said, go back and ask them for this property. And I went back and I asked the, the PM at the time, and he said, yeah, no problem. I think they were happy to give me land instead of, you know, having to sacrifice yeah. a house. So I was kind of lucky, and I built my house, and Fred has been over. Yeah. I don't know if you've been over, Shane. That's my story. I have been there, mate. You invited me there in 1999. We came there, and I think the reason I love that tour is the last tour I was single, and it was the, I think it was the Miss, Miss World competition <laughs> was on. And you had, you, had a, you had a few of the guests over, and... Um, Look, I wish I was multilingual, but I'm not. So it didn't work out that well for me. But it was a, it was a great party. It's an incredible property. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. it's a great spot. Can you imagine it in like Australia, Shano, if uh, you know you take yeah. a five or a score a hundred or whatever, and um, <laughs> with a PM, whether it's um, you know a, 
Scott Morrison or a, you know a John yeah. Howard goes, all right, guys, just pick a pick a place around Mossman if you like. <laughs> Have Kirribilli House. <laughs> Wouldn't happen. <laughs> hey Brian, who, who was your idol growing up? Yeah, um, first idol was uh, Roy Fedrick. So I don't know if you guys remembered him, left-handed opening batsman yep. for the West Indies, started with Greenwich and, and Fedricks. And me being a left-hander at the time also opening at school, he was definitely my role model. I, he had a long sleeve shirt on and I made sure that I had my long sleeve and buttoned down at the, at the wrist. And um, from there, I just sort of moved on. You know, as I grew, grew older, I felt that I needed to find something in everybody's game. So Viv Richards' uh, attack in nature and sort of borderline arrogance, uh, Gordon Greenwich, his technique, uh, Desmond Haynes for his resilience. So I sort of tried to build everybody's uh, piece of everybody's game into my game, and I appreciated all of these players. And I spoke about you know the Allen Borders and the other players from around the world that I I constantly uh, heard on the radio because back in those days there was hardly any what uh, watching of cricket on television. So I incorporated sure. a lot of, of players uh, and their game and what I thought that you know they were best at, and I put it into my game. And Brett, what about yourself, mate? I know you loved Alan Donald and Dennis Lee, but who else were your big influences when you were growing up? Well, probably probably those two because one, you know, I could not bat, so I didn't want to pick a batsman. Even though that we'd <laughs> muck around in the back garden, would be you know we would be Brian Lara, we'd be Alan Border, or we'd you know be anyone from any other side, but. Uh, for me, I just love pace, and the best pace bowler yep. that, that I saw growing up live was Alan Donald. And I remember there was yeah. must have been I was telling telling Brian this uh, I think yesterday or the day before about I watched you bat I think it was a Bradman eleven versus South Africa it must be about ninety two, and here's my hero. So I'm watching you bat. So I'm nervous for you, and I'm watching um, Alan Donald steam in with his wristband on, and that's the reason why I wore the white wristband <laughs> as well. But like you with your button down around the wrist, long sleeve shirt. And you hooked um, Alan Donald onto, I think, Bradman's house at Bradman uh-huh. Oval. And I looked at, so I was happy for you. I'm thinking I was, I was a bit annoyed that you know he'd been hooked for six as well. And the next ball, he, he tried to rip your nose off and it went over the keeper's head for four buys. And I was just like, far out. This, this guy's incredible. So for me, it was Alan Donald just with the like poetry in motion. I loved his run-up. I loved his action, copied his action, tried to sort of be like him. And then obviously... Um, as time went on, I tried to bowl a bit quicker and my action sort of fell away. That's when I sort of got to know uh, Dennis Lee very, very well, rang him up and said, look, my action's not great. Can you help me out? Because I saw him when I was 16 and he said, yeah, we'll fix your action. So those those two guys have been, I guess, heroes of mine growing up and certainly played a huge role in you know me, you know, allowing me to take those wickets that I took. If you're enjoying this episode, maybe check out a previous episode with Brennan McCallum and Eddie Jones when we talk all things cricket and rugby. And and Brian, talking about fast bowlers, I think you're quoted as saying the greatest fast bowler you faced in your time was Wazim Akram. Is, is that true? Yeah, Wazim, um, for his deception and pace, he swung the ball and, you know, even listening to Brett now in the commentary box and the way how he explains what happens when you want to bowl an in-swing, out-swinger, I think he defied all of those in terms of he would show me an action that's supposed to come in to me, the ball, and then he would get it to leave. And he was just an amazing fast bowler, uh, Wasim Akram. And I always felt that if I scored 400, which I did, and I walked out to bat the next day full of form, and Akram was 
at the top of at top of his mark, he could still make me look silly. Sure. That's how I felt about him. I think he was definitely the best that I've come up against. And Malcolm Marshall, the late Malcolm Marshall, mm. the best I've ever played with. I, I think most guys say, say Malcolm, yeah, but the, the, the one guy that I, I found bloody difficult was, was Curtly Ambrose. What, what's the story about, uh, Brian, you, you rooming with Curtly? Well, <laughs> I, it was strange because <laughs> over the years, I've, you know, I had, uh, I think I started with Jeffrey Dujon, um, Malcolm Marshall, Desmond Haynes, and they were all guys who, you know, they were, I don't know, tired of me because I, I was very young and I wanted to learn the game as quickly as possible. So outside of the, a practical game, I'll get into my room and I'll be asking questions and they want to go to sleep. So eventually, you know, after a few years, I got curtly. And I remember the first thing he told me was, listen, that <laughs> side of the room is yours. Don't touch anything that I have. Don't touch me. <laughs> and that's it. Don't touch and, me. <laughs> and the, first, the very me. first day, I'm putting my luggage in and just dragging my suitcase and he's seven foot tall. The bed is only about five and a half and his <laughs> feet's hanging off the bed and I just passed and brushed it. And he held me by my, by my collar and put me up against the wall. But luckily the room <laughs> door was jammed and Courtney Walsh was passing and he saw what was happening and he ran in the room. He said, what happened? He said, I told him, man, do not touch anything that I have nor me. And he did. <laughs> But uh, Courtney wrestled curtly and got me to the ground. And from that day, you know, we became very good friends. You know, I tried to arrange a few a few things for him, you know. It was, you know, you talk about those um, beautiful girls in Trinidad. And, and, you know, I just tried to see if I can coax my way into some little, you know, friendship with him. But eventually we became very respectful to each other. Because the one thing what, what a lot of people don't realise is that the West Indies only really exists in cricket. They're all different countries. So there's real yeah. – so the, the one thing the West Indies do as the West Indies is cricket, but, but nothing else really is there. Yeah, nothing else. Politics, um, yeah. Usain Bolt, yeah. he runs for Jamaica, not for the West Indies. Soccer, everything else. Cricket is the only thing that unifies us. And I think that stems from over 100 years ago where I think back yeah. in the day when the colonial masters, the English, were uh, operating in the West Indies, they came together only for one thing – and that was to actually play cricket, and that remained um, for all those years. Hey, Brett, the crop of fast bowlers coming through now, who catches your eye around the world? Well, there's a guy called uh, Nokia from South Africa. He bowled a, a ball the other yeah. evening at 156.2 k's per hour. <laughs> wow. So he, he's got good pace. Yeah, he, he's, he's rapid. And then you've got guys like uh, Mohammed uh, Siraj, who's bowled 145 k's from India, you got Saini, who who's hitting you know one forty eight. So they're they're a nice crop of Indian young fast bowlers coming through now in their early twenties who can who could get that speedo up close to one fifty, which is exciting. So I, I'm I'm not sure we'll you know we'll ever go back to the nineteen eighties where the the West Indies had that five prong pace attack and they're all like six foot eight or, or whatever it is. I'm just hoping that World Creek gets back to guys bowling real good pace. Yeah. Um, yep. Con- consistently over like a number of years. Hey, Brett, where are we at right now with the IPL? Who are you tipping to win the IPL this year? Who's performing well currently? Just a quick summary for, for listeners back here that are not really following it that closely. Yeah, there's about 62 games, I think. We're 40 games into it, so we're on the home straight. And there's a lot yep. of, there's double headers on every Saturday and Sunday, so that, that makes it go quicker. At the moment, Mumbai Indians and Delhi Capitals. Uh, Raw cha- challenges Bangalore are the top three. But you've got uh, Calcutta Knight Riders as well. 
uh, and making a late push is Kings Eleven. I'm I'm looking at Kings Eleven because for, you know for me they were they were sitting on the bottom. I think they'd played six matches and won one game, wasn't it? BC close yeah. to that, and they've won yep. their last three in a row. And two of their two of the top run scorers in the, in the competition are from Kings Eleven, so they've had a shocking bowling attack. They fixed that up, and for me they they're, they're coming through the the ranks now, so they're sitting. You know, just outside the top four, so I'm I'm going to back Kings Eleven, which is my old or well, my first team in the IPL. And and who do you reckon, Brian? Um, you know what? If you ask me this question in about eight hours, I would I'd tell you I'll really confirm it. But Rajasthan Royals is playing in a few hours' time, and if they get past uh, SRA Sunrisers today, I think that uh, they're on the right path forward. They've got a great team. They just was. A bit um, dismantled in the few ga- first few games. They won a couple in Charger, maybe got a little bit overconfident. Uh, left Charger to, for Dubai and Abu Dhabi and lost about four games on the trot. But I believe that their team with Ben Stokes in now, just Butler's finding form. Um, your boy, uh, Steve Smith, I don't know. I wanted to put him on the sidelines. <laughs> but he, right. <laughs> but he's coming back <laughs> and he, he's, he's looking good. He looked good in the last game. He's coming I good. think Rajasthan Royals. There you go. The team really? that the dark horse for me to win this tournament. Really? Can I say, boys? I, w- I want to compliment you both on your really? how professional you both are in the commentary box. So I, the other night, I saw a game where one batsman was called Hard Dick and the other guy was called the Cock. How 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 you, how you don't smile and laugh when you commentate? That can't be easy. <laughs> It's it's hard. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's hard. You know, it's, it's part of the well, it's, it's, much e- it's, <laughs> it's much easier now. I mean, last year we had to deal with cutting the cock and and as a combination, that was that was kind of difficult as well. Well, it's it's hard because as, as you mentioned those names, and then, and then you throw in Pat Cummins, you throw in Joe Root. Yeah, you know, there's there's heaps of um, heaps of names around there that uh, can definitely make you smile. But it's just funny. So we, you know, we. Commentate with what we're using now with these um these wonderful <laughs> mics uh these 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 road mics and the thing is we just push the mic up when we have to have a bit of a laugh so it's 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 hilarious. I was uh, Brian. I was laughing. I was laughing to myself today when I was doing a little bit of research for this interview. But and Brett knows Piers Morgan quite well, and obviously you do. But I watched an old video in some studio where you're bowling to Piers Morgan. I've never seen a guy who who was so powerful. He took on the gun lobbyists in the US, but. He was fangirling over you so much. It's a, it was hilarious to watch. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy. I mean, that's, like, like, that, that, that's, that's small. But what about, you haven't heard about the, the, the duck that he got me out for in St. Kitts? And also, no, he, you know, he bowled a maiden, got me out for duck, and he hit me for the winning six in a charity <laughs> in St. Kitts. I mean, you just... You just need to look look a little bit deeper, research a little bit deeper, and you're going to find it. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I did see all those, but I, yeah, I was just turned off after a while. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I always ask every guest on the show the same question. I'll ask you first, Brett, what advice would you give to a young up-and-coming cricketer right now? Well, for me, it's play the game because you love it. I think what a lot of kids are, are probably guilty of now, and that's not their fault. It's probably the way that the media has portrayed things is – there's a lot of money through the IPL. There's a lot of money when you play for Australia. So m- most guys now that when they play Test cricket for Australia, if they're if they're in the top eleven, they're making well over a million dollars. So maybe close to two two bricks, right? And then you yep. think about guys like Pat Cummins, who is now on three point what two million for this six week stint. 
Yeah. So you see young kids going, oh my gosh, I can I can play cricket and earn a lot of money and and just live a, live a, you know like a beautiful life, which can be true. But they don't see the guy from Penrith in Pat Cummins that has had back injuries, has worked his backside off to get to where he is, and actually has earned that you know that right to get that income because he's he strives so hard. So for me, it'd be focus on what you love, pick a game, pick a sport that you love, and also have other interests. So for me personally. I always loved cricket, but it wasn't my only passion. I only love, I love my music. As you know, as you know, I love going fishing. Yep. I love being on the farm. So do something that you love. And if you, if, you, if you love something, you generally become good at it. If you become good at it, it can look after you at the back end. So I didn't even worry. To me, I was not worried about money. I reckon until mid to late 30s. And then you think, okay, well, I've got to set myself up here at, you know, after, after cricket. But I was just playing. I was just having fun and just enjoying it. So the kids just... Pick something you love, enjoy it, and do it with a smile on your face. And what about you, Brian? What advice would you give to a young, talented cricketer coming through? Well, um, you know, what I'm seeing now is, 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 is great. I mean, the game has evolved. We've got the T20 version of the game now. Um, what I'd like to see from young batsmen is try to sort of maintain some sort of um, tech, technical brilliance. I mean, we've seen, okay. I mean, when you got, as Sunil Narayan as, as an opening batsman in a T20 game, it's tough to say, well, you know, I really love seeing this. So I want the young batsmen to try as much as possible to keep that correctness. That's why I have a great love for KL Rahul. I think um, he's maybe the best mm-hmm. batsman that is walking around the world. I know a lot of people have better stats, but when you're talking about looking at someone bad, he's sheer brilliance. Uh, Virat yep. Kohli and all these guys. Yeah, I like the fact that, yes, you're playing all versions of the game, but the guys who have great technique that can play test cricket, 50 overs, anti 20 and be successful, those are the ones mm. I like. So I, for any advice for any young player, you know, that opening up the left leg and swinging and, and doing these things yeah. and pretty much um, isolating yourself, maybe just being a T20 uh, player, is something that I, w- I would try as much as possible to avoid if I was a young player today. Yeah, it's very short-sighted. I agree with that, yeah. And, and, and one of the great things about, I suppose, playing professional sport, it opens you up to to meet a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. And and, and, and the idea behind the Lunch With Lee podcast was, to, you know, the three things in my life have been sport, music and business. And we've met some great musicians, Brett, haven't we, over the years, and and business people. Um, Brian, I, I saw a, a, um, a little video. You've um, teaching Barack Obama to bat. Was he, was he one of the most famous guys you've ever met? Yeah, definitely. I, I have my first, uh, fa- my most famous hour, which was Nelson Mandela meeting him, the late wow. Nelson Mandela. And my most famous really? five minutes would have been with um, Barack Obama Gee. in Trinidad when he came across for um, Chogam, um, one of those uh, Commonwealth... Uh, Heads a government meeting, and uh, my ma- most favorite minute would be, I suppose, meeting the Queen at Lords. But yeah, he was yeah. he was such a humble guy, and you know, you know, people mention the fact that he said that great to meet a Michael Jordan at cricket. But I know someone whispered that in his ear. I am almost <laughs> sure. <laughs> I might take that and run. But um, yeah, it was it was awesome meeting a, a man with so much humility and and such a powerful person. And Brett, yourself? Well, definitely the Queen. Um, we had mm-hmm. a we had a game at uh, Lords, obviously, where the Queen comes down, and it was a rain delayed sort of uh, lunch. So we had a bit of an extended time. And I actually sat next to her, and uh, yeah, it was just making <laughs> making small small talk and how things and what. And she actually apologised for this weather that we're having. 
but just uh, it, it sort of, with all due respect, it felt like I was chatting to my grandmother. I mean, it was just such a very humble person. Uh, and then me being a music nuffy like you, meeting, you know, hanging out with Elton John and, you know, Mick, Mick Jagger and that, it just, you know, we're very lucky that we play cricket. Yeah, I remember um, we, we met the Queen, um, 999 for the World Cup, and, and we had the, back then we had our blazers were the stripy green and gold, terrible blazers that we used to wear. And she asked us if we, what ice creamery we worked at. She thought we worked in an ice cream shop. <laughs> she sledged us, yeah. Hey, guys, I, my, my kids are just coming home now, so I'm going to wrap it up. But um, I, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. Um, Brian, It's I really do appreciate you, you, you taking time out, mate. You, you've been a legend of the game, mate. Um, you were the Michael Jordan of cricket. There's no doubt about that. Um, and Brett, I love you. I miss you. I can't wait if you come home. I had your, your lovely wife, Lana, and your, and your kids over on the weekend. Your son, Raffy. Your son, Raffy. He's a unit. If he doesn't bowl 165 kilometres an hour, I'll walk home backwards, right? He's, he's going to be quick, I reckon. As long as you can teach him how to bat. I'll teach him how to bat, but that won't be a problem. But, but thanks, guys. I really appreciate your time. And um, look after yourselves, and I'll see you back here. And, Brian, when you come to a Sydney, it's my shout for lunch, mate. Yes, buddy. Get on your show, mate. What well up, mate. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Brian Lara and Brett Lee. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, the Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. And if you're passionate, leave a review. And come find us on our socials. I'm at Lunch with Lee. Next week, we'll be chatting some more complete legends about music, sport and business on another cracker episode of Lunch with Lee. We'll see you then.